there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, I introduce Scott to a banger of a film from 2001. It's Josie and the Pussycats. Woo! <laughs> God, yeah, Josie and the Pussycats. It was an interesting movie, to say the least. This is a movie I, I grew up a lot with, and I, I love it. Is it a great film? No. <laughs> but it's better than I think it was given credit for. Yeah, it's it's got a lot to say, but then it's also got one of the most asinine plots I think I've <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> yeah, this movie is pretty bizarro, but the music slaps. Oh yeah, the music's great. We're going to talk about the music in this movie in just a second, but before we get into that, Scott, what were your initial thoughts after watching this movie? So, watching this, you can tell who is going to be the star after this movie. And I even think they kind of showed it with the camera work. Well, yeah. I mean, this movie is very early 2000s in every way, shape, or form, including with the cast. Because, well, let's let's start with the origins of Josie and the Pussycats. Now, this movie is based on the Josie and the Pussycats property that came from Archie Comics. The characters were created by Dan DiCarlo, first published in 1963, came out with 106 comics over 30 years. They had a Saturday morning cartoon, been in syndication for years, and more recently, they were characters on the show Riverdale. They were? Yeah. Oh, God. I never watched the show, but I know they were on there. So the three main stars of this movie, two of which were just early 2000s flash-in-the-pan stars, if you ever did see them. We have the main girl, Josie, played by Rachel Lee Cook, who was a decently-sized star of the 90s and early 2000s. Now, I think she's been uh, reduced to, like, little indie movies here and there and a bunch of Hallmark Christmas movies. (laughs) And then um, for our second round of early 2000s bingo we have tara reed playing melody the drummer in the band and she was also pretty big around this time uh american pie van wilder right and now she has been reduced to sharknado Sharknado. (laughs) so yeah the only shining star with some longevity in this movie would be rosario dawson who plays valerie and Scott was very excited by her in this movie because she was the bass player and Scott was also a bass player. <laughs> Damn straight. God, that woman ages like a fine wine. Yes. Well, this was very early in her career. But yeah, that that's our, our lineup. Actually, funnily enough, none of these women actually play instruments in reality in the movie, nor does... Rachel Lee Cook actually sing. She's dubbed by the lead singer of some band called Letters to Cleo. Yeah, 
weird because Rosario Dawson is the bass player and the backup singer in this movie. I don't believe she actually sings a note, but there were other actresses considered for her role. And all of them are musicians. We have Aaliyah, Brandy, Beyonce, <laughs> Left Eye Lopez, like all the <laughs> for some reason they picked her. I don't know. But I'm not mad about it because Rosario Dawson. Well, I think because Rosario Dawson can at least act. <laughs> like this is not a very uh, you know, heavy movie that you need real acting chops, let's put it that way. Tara Reed's in this movie. You don't really need to be able to act like fucking Meryl Streep. That's true. We're gonna just keep taking shots to Tara Reed. Well, it's pretty easy in this movie. They kind of hand it to you on a silver platter, but that's besides the point. This movie, it bombed terribly. The budget was $39 million. What? Yeah, and it made $14.8 million. So it didn't even make half its budget back. I haven't seen it probably since I was a young teenager. And I was a little scared going into it that I was going to hate it and be like, oh no, my childhood... But I still enjoyed it. Did I enjoy it as much as I did probably when I was a kid? Probably not. But it was still entertaining and fun. And I laughed a lot. So that's all you can really ask for out of a movie like this. It's so crazy. Because I'm sitting there taking my notes. Sometimes I'm like, what are, what are we doing here? Uh, but yeah, I do agree. The songs do slap. So the soundtrack for this movie was Certified Gold in 2003 most of the songs in this movie were produced by babyface who is an 11 time grammy winning producer he produced bands like boys to men tlc whitney houston tony braxton and we had several writers as well on these songs for example we have adam schlesinger who is the founding member of Fountains of Wayne. Stacy's mom, baby. Stacy's mom has got it going on. She's all I want and I've waited for so long. Stacy, can't you see? You're just not the girl for me. I know it might We also have Jane Weedlin, who is the guitarist for the Go-Go's. And we have Adam Duritz, who is the front man for Counting Crows. So you can kind of get a sense of the era that we're in here guys 90s early 2000s was a very interesting time for music but it also was a very good time for like pop punk or pop rock so it works here with josie and the pussycats because that's kind of what they are yes other than the music what i really like about this movie is that it it really makes fun of pop culture and society during that time of the early 2000s and oh, i think yeah. it does a good job of it i mean we've talked about movies that are kind of like time capsules this movie really is kind of a time capsule of the early 2000s oh yeah this movie is hardcore 2000 and 2001 this is like bang right there yeah, sometimes to its detriment this movie was written and directed by a Mr. Harry Elfont and a Miss Deborah Kaplan. Now, they are primarily writers. The only other movie they directed was a movie called Can't Hardly Wait, which I vaguely know of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I think it's another late 90s, early 2000s, like rom-com or something like that. But this duo has written a handful of 
pretty shit flicks, including the Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas. Halle Berry, baby. No. No, it's the other one. Damn it. That's the first one. Viva Rock Vegas is the one with Stephen Baldwin. So you know it's quality. Scott, you, you ready to get into this? Let's get into the nitty and the gritty. Alrighty. So we open up with a, a pretty solid cold open sequence. We immediately get into the parody of pop culture and the music industry by introducing the hot new boy band called DuJour, which if you know what uh, DuJour translates to, it means of the day, which is in itself a joke because they mentioned that they've only been around for like a year and they're like the number one band in the country and all these girls are oh my god so they're on the private airstrip they're on the tarmac yeah yeah about to get on their private jet right and they do like a little impromptu performance now the boy band du jour is made up of four gentlemen played by some really funny guys including donald Faison, seth green and brecken meyer they go on their private jet with their manager, Wyatt, played by Alan Cumming. This is the second craziest Alan Cumming role I think I've ever watched. Are you talking about Spy Kids being the other one? <laughs> oh, no, I even forgot about Spy Kids. Because, I was talking because, about Reaper Madness. Oh, yeah, that's true. That was weird, too. He's done a lot of weird things in his career. But, no, this is the same year as Spy Kids. Oh, God. That's that era of Alan Cumming. <laughs> he just did not give a fuck anymore. <laughs> just does whatever. <laughs> but... The du jour performance is even more hilarious because it's also a joke about how these boy bands of this era, despite the fact that the vast majority of their fans are young teen girls, all of their songs are about sex because the song that they perform is called Backdoor Lover. Anal. (laughs) I just love it so much because I personally was such a big NSYNC fan as a kid and as an adult I still love NSYNC but I realize now like wow the majority of those songs were all about sex (laughs) but anyway um so they get on their private jet and they're total dipsticks essentially (laughs) yeah they're fighting over uh they're just squabbling (laughs) over like petty nonsense yeah and as they're fighting one of the band members named Les he goes up to their manager Wyatt and he's like hey um we just want to run something by you we were trying to do a remix on one of our songs and we noticed a weird background track and we were wondering if you could tell us what's going on here and they they pull out a Walkman because you know it's 2001 and they hand the headphones to Alan Cumming and he's listening to it and he looks very concerned but the audience can't hear what it is. So it's like, ooh, what's going on here? And he's like, well, this is very concerning. I'm going to go figure this out right away. And he walks into the cockpit of the plane and he says to the pilot, take the Chevy to the levee. And then they pull on parachutes and proceed to jump out of the plane, leaving the band members in the plane. <laughs> and the plane goes down, baby. As Alan Cumming is landing from the parachute, he lands right outside of a little town called Riverdale. Ah. Ah. 
then he's like, well, got to find a new band. Dun, dun, dun. And that's our cold open into this movie. Yes, and then we go into an introduction to all our characters in the form of like a slideshow. <laughs> like they jump and then they freeze frame. And it's like, Melody. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, basically, a lot of this movie is montages over Josie and the Pussycats playing music. It's basically several music videos interspliced with plot. And (laughs) this first one is not just an introduction to our three main characters, but also an introduction to the kick-ass music in this movie. Uh, A real introduction to it, because we did get Backdoor Lover, but like that's just such a satirical parody song that like it's not really a, a good representation of the music in this movie. So... Our first real song is called Three Small Words. It took six whole hours and five long days for all your lies to come undone. And those three small words were way too late. We get a montage of each of the three members of the Pussycats, because right now they're just called the Pussycats. Yes. And after the montage, it is revealed that they are playing some fucking bullshit gig in a bowling alley. (laughs) When the song was playing, I also realized that I still remember all of the fucking words to pretty much all the songs in the movie. Oh, yeah. She was singing the whole time. (laughs) Which is crazy because I never had the soundtrack or anything. And if you look it up on Spotify, it's not on Spotify because why would it be some random bullshit movie? It is. No, it's not. I, I I looked it up yesterday. It is. No, it's fucking not. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Okay, I just realized that all the fucking music is on Spotify. I remember looking on Spotify at some point in my life and it not being there, though. So, okay, hold on. I now have to put all the music on my Spotify. But this is the point of what I was saying. I haven't really listened to the music for years. And I still remember all the words. So that should just tell you how often I watched this movie growing up. (laughs) We are introduced to our three main characters, Josie, Valerie, and Melody. Josie is the leader, the singer. Valerie is the best friend. And bass player, baby. Woo! You know, when Josie's bummed out about their shitty gig, Val's right there being the BFF and like, who's a rock star? Come on, who's a rock star? (laughs) And then Melody, because she's played by Tara Reid, is the dumb one. Well, that's her only real joke throughout the whole movie. It's that she's dumb and then sporadically she'll have like... Moments of clarity. Correct. We also meet some side characters here. We meet this bitchy trio of bullies that pick on the pussycats. And they're just this over-the-top, obnoxious, trendy trio of cunty girls that are like, "Uh you have rabbit ears. You're so stupid. And Tara Reid's like, no, they're cat ears. And they're special because we're special. And it's like, oh, geez, the writing is the writing is admittedly not great in this. But I think it makes up for it because the plot itself is just so bizarre that, like, how do you even write for something like this? Because oh, it's just so crazy. It's insane to think about. But, yeah, surprisingly, Josie and the Pussycats, the, the actresses, do a 
decent job doing the dialogue and stuff. And then we also get some more side characters. We get an introduction of Josie's love interest, whose name is Alan M. Why is he called Alan M? I don't know if he's in the comics as Alan M. I would assume so, because why would you name your character Alan M for no reason? He's played by Gabriel Mann, who most recently played Hush in the new Batwoman TV show. Ah, Hush is a great character. Yeah, he's he's cute, early 2000s, artsy guy. And him and Josie have this typical dynamic throughout the movie of like, she likes him and he likes her, but he doesn't really realize it yet. And they're kind of just playing this little game the whole movie. And it's cute. It is. It's it, fine. <laughs> it's, it's not anything you haven't seen before. Correct. It's really, it's just very typical, nothing special. At least we didn't get a moment where Josie walks into the room and then suddenly Alan M is like, <gasps> Oh no, that's another Rachel Lee Cook movie. <laughs> that's, that's, she's all that. We'll get to that movie eventually as well. Oh no. <laughs> because Scott's never seen that classic. classic. I actually love that movie too, but. <laughs> Isn't that Freddie Prince? Yes. Uh. Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> lastly, we get the introduction of the Pussycats manager, Alexander, and his sister, Alexandra, played by Paolo Costanzo and Missy Pyle, respectively. And they are pretty much pointless. Yes, they were in the comics, and they go on the adventure that the Pussycats all go on together, but they're really not in the movie very much. They kind of pop up here and there just to be annoying, slightly comic relief, I guess. So after we get all these introductions, we go back to Alan Cummings Wyatt, and he is in Riverdale scouting out for some new talent. And he goes into a record store... And he asks the manager of the record store to play this track. It's the last track of the late great band Du Jour. Oh yeah, there's this whole thing where they get like a news story about Du Jour's plane crashing. Oh yes, this is another cool satirical moment. Go ahead, babe. And they bring up the fact that, oh yeah, they recorded one last thing before they disappeared. And then they mention that their last album is selling like hotcakes. Yeah, they're like, oh, we have a, a special limited edition box set of the history of DuJour. And it's like, oh, okay, so you're profiting off their deaths too. That's well, great. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what always happens. I think it's been a joke in the music industry for a long time that a lot of musicians are more famous after they die. Sure, I mean, like, whenever you see, like, a big musician pass away, their whole discography gets a big surge, so that, that happens all the time. But it's just, like, a funny slash kind of sad joke about how the music industry is just seen as money signs, and it's not really about the artistry. That's basically what the whole fucking movie is satirizing. But Wyatt's in the record store, and he asks the guy to play the track... And before the track plays, you see the bitchy trio girls, and they're like, oh my god, pink is the new black. Oh my god, it's, I love these pink shoes, and I, I want to drink Evian. Oh my god, like just all this trendy stuff. I could really use a Pepsi right yeah, now. Yeah, they just say a whole bunch of bullshit. And then after the track is playing, 
you see the bitchy trio as well as other kids in the mall going like, oh my God, orange is the new pink. Oh my God, I need to get this Abercrombie and Fitch shirt. Oh my God, I need to drink Gatorade. All like about different products and different trends. And you're like, what the fuck? That's suspicious. That's weird. And why, why it's like, oh, yes, this track is going very nicely. I think it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, and then there's this random girl who comes up to him and goes, oh, I'm a nonconformist. Oh, yeah, I it's almost... very indie. And fucking why kidnaps her. <laughs> yes, it, why it's like, oh, well, I, I would love to talk to you about what you think the music industry should be doing. You know, you're such a nonconformist. Ooh, I'm so interested to hear what you have to say. And he takes her out into the parking lot and a van just drives by and kidnaps her. And she's never heard from again. Nope. So if it hasn't been made clear up to this point, it's made very clear now that Wyatt and the music industry that he works for is very nefarious. (laughs) They're the bad guys. While Wyatt is driving around, basically trying to find some talent to exploit, basically, (laughs) the Pussycats are playing an impromptu gig just in the middle of the street. They're being threatened by a shop owner that they're about to be arrested for playing in front of his store. The girls at first are like, oh, whatever. But then they hear sirens. and They're like, oh, let's get out of here. So they start. I don't know if they're running. They're just kind of like sashaying across the street very quickly. And they have this great sequence. It was one of my favorite sequences in the movie. It was one of mine, too. I actually thought this was actually very clever. The song Paradise by the Dashboard Light starts playing. And as they're crossing the street and Wyatt's car almost hits them, he stops dead And the girls are lit up by the headlights of the car. And it's all in slow motion. And as Wyatt is stopped dead looking at the girls, he pulls out a a blank CD case and he holds it up in front of them. As he is doing that, a construction crew is walking by with a big sign that says number one band because they're taking down the fucking du jour billboard. So it all kind of conforms into this perfect image of the pussycats with number one band over their head and Wyatt literally looks at the camera breaks the fourth wall many times the fourth wall is broken in this movie I just love the meta bullshit in this movie but he looks at the camera and he's like "Uh (laughs) aha and it cuts to them sitting in a coffee shop and immediately Wyatt is offering them a record deal and the girls are like um, you've never even heard us play and you're offering us a record deal and he's like, oh, this is this is the music business, sweetie. <laughs> it happens quick. So the girls are like talking about it. Val is like, oh, well, Josie, you said we should make things happen for ourselves. We should get ourselves a record deal and we've done it. And it's like, you didn't really do anything. You just almost got hit by a car. <laughs> but Melody has one of her rare moments of clarity here. Really, her character is like... The idiot savant. Yes. In regards to matters of normal, everyday life, she's a complete idiot. But when it comes to people, she's very intuitive. While they're talking, she says to the girls, do you think that guy Wyatt is a little strange? He's always folding his napkin and looking away like he doesn't trust people and he doesn't have any real friends. And it's like... Oh, yeah. But, you know, we want a record deal. So, like, fuck it. Let's go. (laughs) So they take Wyatt up on his offer to 
join Mega Records and they fly to New York with their manager Alexander, his sister, and Alan M because Josie says that he's her guitar tech so he can come along with them. Oh, uh, you're missing one of the biggest things they're flying with. They are flying with Target. Oh my god, okay. (laughs) Yeah, this private jet is clearly sponsored by Target. I guess now is a good time to talk about the product placement in this movie. Um, There's a lot of it. (laughs) It's everywhere. Just to name a few. Oh boy. We had Sega, McDonald's, Pepsi, Target everywhere. Avion Water. It's all over the place. Yeah. When we talk more about the plot that we're going to get into, the main thrust of the plot, it'll make sense why that is. But the weird thing about it is that um, they got zero money for it. Any of it. They got no money for any of the product placement in this movie because consumerism is the big part of the plot. I guess. So I guess they just, they were going to do it anyway, put all that product placement in. But apparently they didn't get any money for it, which makes, I, I don't know. I mean, it was a $38 million movie. I don't know if they got zero money from anybody. But considering how much product placement is in this movie, they definitely didn't get money from everybody. Oh, definitely not. But as we are flying on this private jet, we get one of the funniest lines and most meta lines in the movie from Missy Pyle, who plays Alexandra. Her brother Alexander looks at her and goes, I still don't understand why you're here. You're not with the band, technically. Like, why are you here? And she just goes without missing a beat, I'm here because I was in the comic book. (laughs) And he's like, what? And she's like, nothing. (laughs) I just, I love it. I love the meta humor. That is literally the only point. All three of them, basically. Alan M, Alexander. Like, there's no point. Like, Alan M is there to be the love interest. Right, but... But all three of them are kind of pointless this yeah, entire Yeah, no, plot. That's, it's true. But they were in the comic book, so they gotta be in the movie. I don't know. But we get a cute little sisterly moment here on the private jet going to New York City. They are talking about how we always need to remember where we came from. We came from Riverdale and we have these bus passes and it's so cute because they each have the same bus pass and the three of them in the picture. It's like, we have the only bus passes with three people in the picture. (laughs) We're so cute together. We're such girly girls. And they, (laughs) they're like, no matter what happens, we're going to stick together and be friends first, a friends first and a band second. And they're like, I swear on my bus pass. And it's a cute little moment. And then they get to New York City. (laughs) New York City. Pardon me. Are you Aaron Burr, sir? That depends. Who's asking? Oh, sure. Sir, I'm Alexander Hamilton. I'm at your service, sir. I have been looking for you. I'm getting nervous. Oh, God. (laughs) This is where we find out that the band's name has been changed. Ah, yes. They have a, a cute little makeover scene because, you know... That's what happens in movies like this. Oh, yeah, I forgot. This is basically another montage over uh, Josie and the Pussycats song. The song's called You're a Star, and it's really the most simplistic lyrics you ever did hear. It's like, I feel good. Yeah, I feel fine. I've stopped complaining all the time. And then it goes into a bunch of na-na-na-nas. And then it's like, be who you are. 
because you're a star. And then it just says a bunch more na 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 nas. Oh. And that's the song. <laughs> oh, not only that. So this is a, supposed to be a whole makeover scene. Yes. Which is hysterical because when they end the makeover scene, they look exactly the same. Yes, pretty much. They just look a little more glittery, but like, they look the same. Except that they are now known as Josie and the Pussycats. Yes, and they have this whole kind of funny scene where Wyatt is explaining to them why they changed the name. And they're like, oh, what's more exciting? A band called simply The Pussycats? Or, or would you rather listen to a song or read a comic book or see a movie called Josie and The Pussycats? And it's like, ha more meta humor. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, he why it's like, oh, bands with the word and in the title are 10 times more successful than bands without that. But then Rosario Dawson's like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. And, yeah, Rosario's <laughs> like, well, what about the Backstreet Boys? And he's like, well, yes, if you want to split hairs. <laughs> it's like, okay. Oh, my God. But also it establishes the kind of running gag throughout the movie with Valerie that she's often forgotten or overlooked they all get in the limo and Valerie's the last to get in and the limo just drives off without her and she's like hey <laughs> after this scene we meet the CEO of Mega Records Fiona played by Parker Posey she's a, she's a pretty funny actress in this movie she's just chewing the fuck out of the scenery here <laughs> oh yeah 100% we essentially get an explanation of the plot of the movie She's having a meeting with some representatives from different governments throughout the world. And she explains to these people that the U.S. government has conspired with the music industry to hide subliminal messaging in pop music to brainwash these young, impressionable teens into buying various products. And we get the point hammered home by an educational film and the star of the little educational film is none other than Eugene Levy because, you know, he's funny. <laughs> he is actually hilarious, but he just pops up very randomly in this movie. And you're like, oh, hi. <laughs> well, Eugene Levy has kind of always been that B-list star that shows up wherever you kind of need him to be. Yeah, he's a reliable, funny man. Like, you can always count on him to be funny. But Fiona also explains, because the government representatives are a little hesitant to believe this whole conspiracy here. And they're like, well, what happens if a musician discovers your hidden messages? What happens? And Fiona explains that they are made to disappear via various disasters. And she's like ever wonder why so many music stars die in plane crashes or and you're overdose. like oh god or overdoses or have a uh, religious conversions or shit like that and you're like oh my god <laughs> that's why i feel like this movie is smarter than it's given credit for because the plot itself like i said is so bizarro and some of the execution of things is so weird and bizarro but at the same time the satire is solid <laughs> The satire is very much there. It's really taking a shot at the music industry, at advertising, here at the government wanting to control the youth. Yes, which is probably why they didn't get much, if any, money from advertisers because they were just shitting on them. <laughs> but after this reveal of essentially the plot, 
we cut to the Pussycats, or shall I say Josie and the Pussycats, recording their first ever single. And Wyatt shows them this machine called the Mega Sound 8000, which in reality is the machine that kind of processes the subliminal messaging. But he shows it to them and says like, oh, it's just a way to process your music and make it sound cool. Like he's very vague about it purposely. The girls play something and he processes it through the machine and immediately when the girls hear it they want a big mac and they want to go to Foot Locker and oh, yeah, shit it, like that it's, it's like stupid so after this the girls record their first single and we get another montage slash music video with the song called pretend to be nice which is another fucking banger get a montage of the girls quickly gaining an incredible amount of fame to the point where at the end of the song they're number one on the billboard charts they're being chased by fans and adored and oh yeah there's another moment with tara reed tara reed's like on the street and someone points and screams at her and she points oh my god she yeah and she runs away like comically stupid like she throws her hands up in the air and is like whoa and runs away (laughs) so ridiculous it reminded me of that scene in scary movie where they're parodying the emotional moment in scream where she breaks up with the boyfriend and runs away Uh, yeah yeah. but after the song the girls are jumping up and down they're screaming comically like oh my god we're famous oh my god and then they stop and Josie's like wait a minute does anyone else think it's weird that all this happened in one week (laughs) and they have like just a moment of semi-clarity and you see Wyatt in the corner grabbing his phone like he's gonna call for them to be killed and then Val's just like no and then they start screaming again (laughs) But we get a moment with the bitchy trio from the beginning of the movie showing up at their hotel room and like screaming like, oh, my God, we're your biggest fans. And like, no, you hate us. Like, what? <laughs> Wait, we know them. Ew. <laughs> but uh, we get another moment with Val being excluded because Wyatt gives out invitations to a big record company party being held by Fiona. And he gives out invitations which have Josie's face on it. Not the Josie the Pussy Hats, just Josie's face. He hands invitations to Josie and Melody, but Val doesn't get an invitation. She's like, um, Wyatt, hi, hello, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, Val, you come too. It's fine. There's always room for one more. And it's like, oh, God. We're just building up to Val feeling extremely resentful. But Wyatt tells them, oh, you're going to go to this party tonight and it's going to be really awesome. It's celebrating your success or whatever. And then this weekend, you're going to have your first big concert at this huge stadium and it's going to be awesome. Huge stadium that we can't mention. But since we're in New York, you can probably guess it's supposed to be Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume they're in New York City. But before this party, we cut back to Fiona who is again meeting with these government people discussing this huge conspiracy or whatever and she explains her new scheme in regards to Josie and the Pussycats she says at this big 
stadium show that's going on this weekend she is going to uh pump out these cat ear headphones that everyone has to wear whether you're at the concert or at home watching it because it's going to be televised as well you have to have these headphones and they're going to tell people like oh it's just for surround sound but in reality it's going to be these supersonic fucking subliminal messaging headphones that pumps out this conformist rhetoric yeah there's this weird back and forth sequence between the general and fiona the general starts to walk away and fiona turns her back and does the whole uh oh but you'll see what happens and the general turns her back around and goes what'd you say and she goes uh nothing and she goes (laughs) but you said we'll see she goes, oh yeah you'll see how great the plan is and yeah then, it's like a whole it's like a fucking uh who's on first bit and then they, they turn back around and she goes Whew, that was close and he's he like goes, what, what? <laughs> like god damn but essentially that whole bit established that yes fiona and the record company has an evil scheme with the government but also she has a clearly ulterior motives on the side for herself that we don't know about yet Yes, and then the thing we also find out here that extremely dates this movie, the subliminal messaging is being voiced by the movie phone guy. Oh my god, yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> Conform, free will is overrated. Jump on the bandwagon. Hey, that voice, I know that voice, it's um... Uh... It's Mr. Movie Phone. Yes! He does all our subliminal tracks. There is no such place as Area 51. If any of you are under the age of, like, 20... Yeah, I feel like Gen Z would have no idea what the fuck that means. Like, I remember my father calling the movie phone guy for fucking times. (laughs) This is playing at Bayside Movie Theater. Yeah, see, kids, before everyone had a smartphone, (laughs) you had to call a number to find out what the movie times were. So going into this big record company party, Val is starting to feel really self-conscious and starting to get pretty resentful of Josie because she's being pushed as the front man of the band and the big star or whatever. And Melody is just, you know, dumb piece of shit. She has a shower sequence before the party. She's in the shower because she's Tara Reid, so we have to have a shower scene with her. And she's singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And she's scrubbing herself. (laughs) Every time she goes to clap her hands, she drops the fucking... To clap her hands. That's that's the character we're working with today. You see past the shower door, a shadowy figure walking in her bathroom. And it's very spooky. After the shower is done, she opens the shower door, does a, a typical horror scream... And if the camera pans over to the mirror and it's written in red lipstick on the mirror, beware of the music. And then Tara Reid proceeds to make a smiley face. <laughs> yes. And you think, oh, God, this this is very suspicious. I'm sure Melody's going to be very concerned about this and maybe voice this concern to her friends. <laughs> See, that's funny, because you're dumb. And she proceeds to draw a smiley face on the mirror. And it's like, yep, that's that's what we're dealing with. And then they go to the party. They meet Fiona. And she is playing very much like 
a teenage girl. She's like, oh, come on, girls. Let's go to my room. Let's go have a sleepover. You know, we'll eat snacks together and we'll talk about boys. And it's just like a weird sequence. But afterwards, the girls are by themselves. And Melody has another kind of savant moment where she says, that Fiona girl, she seemed nice, but I just got a very bad feeling. I got shivers. I got very suspicious of her. Any and every joke with Tara Reid's character is basically that. It's everything she says is stupid. So when she says something actually intelligent, the other characters just think it's stupid and ignore it. That's the bit. After this scene, we get a little sequence with Josie and Alan M. They have this date in an aquarium and it's it's cute. It's very typical kind of early 2000s teen romancy type shit where they have this cute little date and they they have an almost kiss moment because they they're ch- getting chased by paparazzi and stuff and it's a, really a nothing scene it's kind of just establishing that they still have this romantic thing going on but there's nothing really special about it to be honest except one in the paparazzi dons a scuba suit I'm Scuba Sam, Scuba Steve's father. <laughs> oh, God. But anyway, after all that, because Valerie and Melody have kind of voiced concerns up to this point, Fiona and Wyatt are concerned that they're getting close to figuring out the conspiracy. Fiona and Wyatt decide that they're going to have Valerie and Melody killed off because Josie's the big star anyway. So they're like, ah, just kill him. And we'll work with Josie. So Wyatt sets it up that Val and Melody are going to be on TRL. Just the two of them. Josie's not coming. Also, another very dated reference. TRL. Yeah. Oh, God. It gets worse, guys. So Valerie and Melody show up at TRL. And they immediately realize that it's a fake set. And... Who walks on to them but Aerie Spears. Yeah, you remember Aerie Spears, don't you guys, from Mad TV? <laughs> Which was, I guess, big in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you can call it that. I don't know. Big's the right word, I but guess it, we, it existed. I guess we can call him a dated reference, too. He basically walks in and says, hi, guys, I'm Carson Daly. And they're like, no, you're not. And then the real Carson Daly shows up. And they're like, yeah, um, where's like your crew and stuff? He's like, oh, we don't need a crew because we're going to kill you. <laughs> and they whip out fucking like baseball bats. And Aries Spears and Carson Daly start chasing Valerie and Melody around. Yeah. Melody and Carson Daly are having like this flirtatious kind of thing. Yes. Well, funny you should mention that. I don't know if you remember this, Scott, but Carson Daly and Tara Reid dated for a short while. No, I didn't remember that because I know nothing about Carson Daly. Well, here's the tea. They actually met during the filming of this movie. They were engaged and were broken up by the time it was released. (laughs) Sounds about right. Val and Mel managed to escape Aerie Spears and Carson Daly because they're both incredibly incompetent. The girls go back to Josie, who is acting incredibly different than she was before they left. And the reason for that is while the girls were gone, Wyatt comes into Josie's room and he's like, hey, why don't you take this CD I have? It's a remix of one of your songs and I want you to listen to it and tell me what you think. And she's like, oh, but I had a date 
with Alan M. He actually has a gig tonight and I wanted to go support him. And he's like, oh, no, 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 he canceled. But she listens to this CD. Oh, maybe we should explain. Kids, CDs were this thing that existed before MP3 players, where if you wanted to listen to music, you actually had to go out and buy this little disc thing at a store and put it in a machine that plays the music. It's it's complicated. We don't need to explain it to Gen Z. It's fine. So Josie's listening to the CD and unbeknownst to her, of course, there is subliminal messaging underneath the song saying just a bunch of horrible things about Val and Mel, how Josie deserves her own solo career, basically turning her into a big old cunt. This is always something that bothers me about movies in general, not just this movie. When a character is brainwashed, how do the friend characters who have known this character for years and years and years not realize, hey, you're acting strange? Especially when the person, what, three hours ago was like oh yeah i can't wait for you guys to be on trl and all that good shit right and also they just got back from being almost murdered so you'd think that they would realize that something is amiss when their best friend is acting like an asshole it's just a common trope in movies that i'm always sitting there and going like if i started acting completely different frankie would look at me go what the fuck is up But to be fair, my first instinct wouldn't be, oh, you must have listened to a subliminal messaging CD that turns you into an asshole. Like, that wouldn't be my first go-to. No, but you would think something was wrong. For sure. So the trio starts fighting, and Valerie runs out. And then in order to hurt Tara Reid's character, (laughs) Josie says, Not everyone gets a happy ending, Muffin. Stop it. And do you want to know what else? Puppies? Turn into dogs who get old and die. And then she runs out crying and it's like, okay. <laughs> After this, we get another montage. Only this is a sad montage because everyone's broken up and sad. We get Josie feeling very satisfied with herself listening to the subliminal CD some more. But she's getting mixed messages because she keeps looking at posters of her and the pussycats. Josie trips and falls flat on her face, breaks the CD player, and she hears a little like undercurrent of the subliminal messaging, but she's not sure like what it is. So she goes to the studio and puts the track into the sound mixer and is like fucking with the levels and stuff. And now trying to figure something out. And Scott's going to explain how technically stupid this is because he actually does this stuff. Okay. When you mix down the track, you have the entire track already mixed down. There is no way you can then go back and go, oh, if I turn this down, I can turn down the guitar. No, it's mixed down already. There is no turning down to just get the subliminal messaging. You can't do this. (laughs) Well, they do it, Scott, okay? (laughs) She hears the subliminal messaging narrated by movie phone guy saying oh valerie and melody are assholes and they are trying to glom onto your success blah 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 and she cracks into all the other subliminal messaging talking about all the different products josie says a really good line here she's like oh my god they're selling things through our music i'm a trend pimp (laughs) i'm nobody's pimp damn it and then she tries to push this fucking giant soundboard 
She's like, we got to get this to the cops. And then all of a sudden, Fiona barges in. And it's the night of their big stadium concert. So Fiona just demands that Josie play this stadium show, but she refuses. Fiona and Wyatt are like, well, if you don't play, we're going to kill your fucking friends. And she pulls out Valerie and Melody, who are being held by the security. And she's like, if you don't play we're gonna stage a car explosion in the parking lot and kill them and they put them in the car on this like rotating thing like how it is in a in a car dealership and it's a big ford logo on the thing i'm like jesus christ we can't get five seconds without some fucking bullshit product placement Josie's apologizing to Val and Mel as the car is rotating (laughs) and it's so stupid so Josie agrees to play the show to save her friends just as Josie is about to be lifted onto the stage we get a big reveal it turns out our beginning boy band du jour wasn't actually killed in the plane crash (gasps) that's right our boys from du jour enter the scene and they are all in body casts hobbling along, except for Les, who was the one kind of quiet guy in the beginning. And it turns out that Les was the guy in Tara Reed's bathroom earlier that sent the message on the mirror. Apparently they had crashed in the Metallica concert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they got beat up. <laughs> and the only reason Les didn't get beat up is because he knew the words to enter Sandman. Ah, so I thought that was kind of a funny joke. But Les is explaining that, like, they figured out Mega Records' scheme and they, they're they here to expose them, blah, blah, blah. And then immediately they get knocked down because they're all fucked up in body casts. But it distracts Fiona and Wyatt long enough for Josie to escape and go release Mel and Val from the car fiona catches up with them and we go into a fight montage fiona's fighting josie val is fighting wyatt and melody is fighting various security guards the pussycats put all these people down pretty quickly during the tussle fiona accidentally destroys the mega sound machine she smashes it and it reveals the new message that was going to be sent through the Josie and the Pussycats ear headphones during the concert. And it's essentially just a message that Fiona is super popular and she's the hottest shit around. And Josie's like, how fucking pathetic are you? That's the message you wanted to send everyone that you're cool. And it turns out she- we get our another we get another reveal. Yes, we get we get a couple reveals here. That she speaks in a lisp, really, and this caused her to be bullied throughout school, so she has a low opinion of herself, and this is a whole thing for her, and this is why she needs to be loved. I'm like, you're a powerful record executive. You don't really need this, but okay. But also, Wyatt is an American, not a Brit, who used to go to school with her. Yes, he reveals that his appearance and his accent is a complete disguise. He reveals himself to be a fellow bullied kid in Fiona's old high school. He was bullied because he was an albino, which is kind of random, but okay. (laughs) It's very convoluted. I don't know why this whole part was even put in the movie. It's just very weird. Yeah, and then the U.S. government comes in and they're like, what's going on here? And Josie's like, they're trying to brainwash the youth of America. (laughs) And then 
the government's like, what? You don't say. He goes over to Fiona and whispers to her. He's like, sorry, we're going to have to use you and Wyatt escape goes. Oh, well, by the way, we're not even doing the music thing anymore because it turns out movies are a much better way to get to today's youth. And then they have the best meta joke in the fucking movie. Yeah, it flashes on the screen. The Josie and the Pussycats movie is the best movie ever. And then in parentheses below it, it's like, by the way, join the army. (laughs) It's so funny. After that, Fiona and Wyatt are taken away to jail and Josie and the Pussycats perform their concert. They go out on stage and they start playing the song Spin Around, which is another banger. holds up i think it's still pretty good yeah it's got a nice beat to it it's got decent enough lyrics and it's just it's kind of just fun but as they're playing the song who's in the crowd alan m he is being lifted into the air by the mosh pit going josie i love you (laughs) i thought you were mad at me because you didn't come to my show and she's like well why told me it was canceled what a dick (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then the crowd carries them up to the stage and then they kiss and then everyone screams ah this movie ends with Josie and the Pussycats getting a big roar from the audience then we cut to the end credits which has a cover of the Josie and the Pussycats theme song which is fun over a blooper reel which I always enjoy when movies play their blooper reel in the end credits I feel like they don't do that anymore they, they don't but, but the, it, I always remember that being fun because I love bloopers. Bloopers are fun. Yeah, the best blooper reel is still Rush Hour 2. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Damn, he gonna be in Rush Hour 3. <laughs> so that was Josie and the Pussycats. Does it hold up as well as it did back in the early 2000s? No. Um, I don't think it does, but I think it's, I, I, I don't think it holds up as well. I think you can still watch it and enjoy it. I actually might think it holds up better now now if i had seen this in the 2000s i would have probably liked the music i actually think the message of like the plot is absolutely batshit insane right that part of it because there's a lot of like stupid early 2000s movie shit in this but i do agree with you that the satire aspect still holds up and the music is still good i think if you take the satire of the music industry and the shots it takes at consumerism and the government this movie surprisingly works now yeah well that's really why i wanted to do this movie i not only wanted to do it because i loved it as a kid and i really like the music and whatnot but I, I i like it when on this show we discuss movies that maybe don't have as much spotlight as maybe we think they should and movies that maybe not everyone's heard of or watched but are worth looking into something that's kind of off the beaten path you know yeah we've kind of hit some of those quite recently with highlander and right exactly and also usually when we do movies like that we think that no one's gonna really fucking care or like it but then we get like a a slew of messages from people like oh my god i love this movie and it's like oh okay (laughs) we're like surprised so if you haven't seen this movie and you're a fan of 
music movies, not necessarily musicals, but like movies that have a lot of music in it. If nothing else, you'll enjoy that aspect of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely recommend going and listening to the soundtrack on Spotify. Yes, I'm certainly going to now because I did not know it was on Spotify until Scott just said it. I gave this movie uh, three stars out of five. I also have it as a three out of five. I think there's a lot of stupid shit in this movie, but despite that, I did laugh quite a bit. Yeah, I definitely got some laughs. I definitely enjoyed it. But then again, I don't know if it was like nostalgic laughter necessarily or just genuine laughter at the jokes. It might have been a combination of both. But while I don't think this is the best movie ever in creation, I do think it's worth watching. And I do think it's fun. So I'm glad I rewatched it. Yeah, if you can find it, go fucking watch it. So next week, Scott is going to be showing me a movie that is... If you could think of a movie that's the most opposite of this movie, <laughs> that would probably be what this next movie is going to be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a movie that I have been yelled at by several people throughout my life because I've never seen it. So it's it's a well-known flick that everyone has pretty much seen except for me. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot about this movie that has been theorized about and i'm excited it's gonna be interesting guys and it's one of those movies that was like huge at the time because it had a big twist at the end oh yeah and while i do because it's such a big movie i already know the twist like i'm still excited to watch it because i just want to see it for myself you know yeah also it's a movie with a video game spinoff that was terrible but that's another story altogether so until then this has been shoot the flick an official paradoja podcast i'm frankie spikes i'm scott eisenberg make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out our weekly episodes every single wednesday on itunes spotify google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week for our crazy movie adventure Josie and the pussy cats Long tails and ears for hats Guitars and Marshall stacks Hot sweet, super cool, don't I know these kids?